Hi, everybody. I'm Jen. I am a grateful member of this group and others, an adult child of alcoholics. And um, I am, uh, I've been coming to ACA. I started briefly in 2017 when I had sort of a, a real bottom. Um, but that bottom changed my life so dramatically that um, it sort of uprooted my routines and, and I stopped going pretty, pretty soon after. But I, I remember I got this, this red book at that meeting. They literally, the first day I showed up and I was crying, they just gave it to me and it was a beautiful thing. And um, so it's been a great resource. And, um, and then last year during the pandemic, I, um, decided somebody told me about this meeting and so this is really my home group even though I'm from Massachusetts um and I started coming and I just felt so invigorated and excited by people and their um their truth and their um recovery and their experience and um it it just really really helped me not feel so isolated and um, another thing that it did, I mean, I, th- I think that when the whole pandemic happened, I immediately said to myself, I, that it's really important for us to be really tender with each other. Like I could see, um, you know, this is probably one of, one of my um, survival instincts in some ways um, from coming from a lot of dramatic, you know, traumatizing situations in my, um, childhood that, um, you know, that when things did get really hairy, I would just kind of like buck up and be, you know, the same one for a minute. And, um, but that's how I started to feel at the beginning of the pandemic, but, but it turned into much, a much more spiritual experience. And that I just, I just thought, you know, I just have to be really, really gentle with myself. This is just huge. My business collapsed and, um, it was just a lot, you know, for, for a lot of people. And, um, anyway, I, uh, when I started coming to ACA, it just totally affirmed that like everything about the program was like gentleness, gentleness. And I had been going to another program for 20 years that taught me a lot. And I just considered myself uh, sort of a recovering perfectionist in that program. Um, but there was something about the language of this program that really, really um, spoke to me. And um, it helped me greatly get in touch with um, a lot of, a lot of who I am. And um, that was my goal. I was starting to feel like I was super disconnected that I, um, I was, I was a fake in my creative world that, um, I'm really nervous too, by the way, I'm just going to say that out loud. Um, which I think is progress because generally I just buck up like incredibly and I don't admit that. And I'm just like feeling my feelings. Anyway, that's the segue into what I want to talk about tonight, which, which, um, I am on step four and I'm a little further than this part, but for some reason, and I can't even really remember what led me to it. I had like a bunch of different tools I wanted to talk about tonight, but I just kind of like zoned in on this today, which is at the beginning, like before you start the worksheets and assignments on step four, you distinguish, our, we distinguish our feelings. So I'm going to read the section on distinguishing our feelings and then just talk about a little bit about what this has helped, how this has helped me. Before starting 
Under fourth step exercises, review the following list of feelings. The definitions describe where and how different feelings are felt in the body. This should be helpful in the exercises ahead. In addition to stuffing, oh, I should say it's on page 76 in the yellow book or 160 in the red book. In addition to stuffing or dissociating from our feelings, some of us have great difficulty understanding feelings and their definitions. Many of us have been shown a long list of feelings feeling words only to stare away, wondering what the words mean. We are confused about feelings because naming and feeling our own feelings is new to us. As children and teens, we based our feelings on our parents' moods and actions. We were hypervigilant to a parent's tone of voice, body language, and gestures. We watched a parent's behavior to determine how we should feel or not feel. By the time we arrive at ACA, many of us do not know that it is okay to have feelings that are different from those of people we care about. In ACA, we learn that it is okay to have our own feelings. If someone we care about is sad or angry, we can empathize with him or her, but we do not always have to feel sad or angry with the person. We can support the person in his or her feelings without having to feel or fix the person's feelings. This is an awakening for us. This is a key step in recognizing our own feelings and learning how to truly support another without unhealthy dependence. Additionally, our parents or relatives used feeling words in ways that did not match the definition of the words. This inconsistency distorted reality and made identifying our feelings as adults more impossible. Many times our parents abused us verbally or physically and called it love or care. I only do this to you because I love you, some parents might say. Don't feel that way was another way we were talked. We were talked out of our feelings. We're told our feelings did not matter. There's so much more. There's a couple other paragraphs, but I'm going to end there just because I want to talk about this a little bit. Um, I think I sometimes think it's it's very generational. I think we're actually evolving as humans and maybe a little bit as a culture because I think younger people have a little bit more sensitivity to feelings. I like to believe maybe that's not true, but um, in in my generation, it was just a buck up kind of, um, uh, and actually my working class background, it was very, um, you know, just buck up. And um, that's what's going to make you survive. And I believe that um, my parents and other people's parents probably thought that they in some ways needed to harden us in order to live in the world that existed then and now, frankly, um, so anyway, I, um, I've had a lot of feelings, you know, in the past year and a half, um, a couple, a couple of them have been fear and grief. Um, it seems, um, one of the things that really bothered me about myself, uh, before I came here was that I felt like, um, I was, I was kind of tough. Like I had this, um, some, one of my friends told me, she's in program two, she told me a couple of, a few years ago, actually, um, probably around the time I started going to ACA at the beginning, she said, you know, Jen, you just, you seem like you are um, living as if you have a gun at your head all the time. And, um, and I just remember just that put me on my back foot. And I just thought, that's how I kind of am. And that's how I've kind of been. Um, this hypervigilance that has um, existed through my whole life in this big hustle um, that I've had. And, and that, and underneath that, you know, when I really, really think about like what is underneath that, it's fear. I mean, if you, if you have a gun at your head, you're going to be afraid. I never, I never actually had a gun at my head, 
but I had a lot, there was a lot of violence and a lot of trauma. And I, I, uh, I grew up with a, a alcoholic Vietnam vet, um, who was like a rageaholic. And, um, and, uh, so I did have a lot of fear and hypervigilance around that. And there was a lot of tiptoeing. There's a lot of trying to figure out like what state this person was in, um, what might happen, what, you know, and one thing when I was actually like, I typed a lot of what I wanted to talk about tonight out, even though I'm not like looking at, looking at it. Um, one of the things that came up for me when I was really thinking about this was that, um, I never realized I shouldn't say that. I for, I've forgotten how much responsibility I had taken on as a teenager for for what was happening in the household. I've forgotten that um, that when I came to the household. So when I was thirteen, my brother left for college. It was just me, my mom, and my brother. And then when I was fourteen, my mom decided to go live with this man, the alcoholic. And I didn't want to, and I convinced her that I could live by myself, and she let me do that. And I lived by myself when I was 14 and 15 in the house I grew up in. And I had no, like, I thought that I was, um, had it so much more together. I thought I was smarter. I thought I was, like, so more mature than than they were. And uh, in reality, I was 14 years old, and, you know, like, at 14, you want to be left alone more than anything in the world and you need not to be left alone more than anything in the world. And so by the time I ended up moving in with them, when I was 15, I broke my leg. I, the, that's when like this kind of triangulation and all the fights started happening. And I just blamed myself. I thought, I, I am the link. I am the thing that came in and now there's all this fighting. And, um, and it's... Oh, okay. Thank you. And so, um, you know, that, that is something that I am dismantling in this program, like hugely that I was already, you know, I was, I was just a kid and that I wasn't the one that needed to have those skills, those emotional skills at 14 to deal with what was happening in my household. And I took that into to adulthood where I just thought I need to be the savior. I need to be the savior. Um, and even in Al-Anon, I thought like, if I get better, they will get better. And even though like I, I would hear, you know, changed attitudes, change perspectives. And I would think, um, you know, I'd hear other people talk about the, how their relationships with their family got better. But what I was thinking was that that people would actually change. And that's just like, it's so obvious because it's, it's not, but that's kind of how I looked at it. And, um, and now, so I, I had this uh, really successful visit with my family this summer um, where I wasn't like judging anybody, maybe a little bit myself sometimes. Cause I'm so like, it's such a habit, but um, I was really like, I just felt very accepting of where everybody was. You know, my mom is, has COPD and she's smoking and my brother has a head injury and he's a hoarder and it's like a challenging stuff. And I just loved them. I just was, I just was happy to be with them. And it, it was a totally different experience. And I, I mean, yes, we've been through a pandemic and I hadn't seen them in a year and a half, but there was totally this program that helped me just step back and be like, you know, take care of your own, your own stuff. Um, so, um, 
what else did I want to talk about? I want to talk a little bit about um, the importance of like when I started the program, I understood that my critical parent was really, really front and center. And um, that's where the tenderness came in. And um, that it was important for me to really kind of um, really find my loving parent before I like did a lot of inner child work. And I have to admit, like after a year and a half, I have just hit the tip of the iceberg of who my inner child is. Um, and I just feel like there's, there's so much more to know. And the reason I know that is because I don't still don't have a lot of memories from childhood. And I read sometimes about how the feelings, uh, the feelings actually are sort of the vehicle to get to the memories. Like if we're having like, I just, I'll just explain like one tool that I use is that when I find myself in really negative thinking, I go, what, what are you feeling? And then like, I'll feel the thing and I'll be like, and sometimes I'll know that it's a really old feeling or I'll just feel it. And it will feel, it will feel like I'm getting connected to like that old, old part of me. And, um, and I think because of that, like more and more memories are coming up and some of them are really good. Some parts of my childhood were, were really beautiful. So, um, that is good. And, um, you know, it's not been easy. This is not an easy program at all. I, I feel like I've, I have to remind myself how brave I am all the time that I'm doing this work. Cause that, cause sometimes I, I look out, I look out into the world, you know, not, not just, the, not these rooms really, but just like I deal with people in the world and I can start to see like people's pain and people's, you know, feelings and their, their old stuff and, um, kind of where they're coming from and um, their vulnerability, really. And I think that's because I'm experiencing One vulnerability. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I read, I came across something today that I felt like was really, um, I, not ironic, it was, it was um, kismet. Um, but it said that the more that we get in touch with our vulnerability in us, the more we have a sort of natural compassion for others. And I think that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about when I meet other people and I can kind of see where they are. Like, I'm not pitying them. I'm not judging them. I'm not wanting to change them. I'm just like having this natural compassion because I feel their vulnerability. And I, and I, and that's only because like I have tapped into some of mine. <laughs> now I'm feeling very vulnerable, <laughs> but um, I so um, I just wanted to thank everybody for being here and coming to this meeting. Like week after week, it's such a powerful meeting, and um, thank you all in there. Mm-hmm.